0: Chapter One of the Prairie by James Fenimore Cooper. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by William Peck. I pray thee, Shepherd, if that love or gold can in this desert place by entertainment bring us where we may rest ourselves and feed, as you like it. Much was said and written at the time concerning the policy of adding the vast regions of Louisiana to the already immense and but half-tenanted territories of the United States. As the warmth of the controversy, however, subsided, and party considerations gave place to more liberal views, the wisdom of the measure began to be generally conceded. It soon became apparent to the meanest capacity that while nature had placed a barrier of desert to the extension of our population in the West, the measure had made us the masters of a belt of fertile country, which, in the revolutions of the day, might have become the property of a rival nation. It gave us the sole command of the great thoroughfare of the interior, and placed the countless tribes of savages who lay along our borders entirely within our control. It reconciled conflicting rights, and quieted national distrust, It opened a thousand avenues to the inland trade and to the waters of the Pacific, and if ever time or necessity shall require a peaceful division of this vast empire, it assures us of a neighbor that will possess our language, our religion, our institutions, and, it is also to be hoped, our sense of political justice. Although the purchase was made in 1803, the spring of the succeeding year was permitted to open before the official prudence of the spaniard who held the province for his european master admitted the authority or even of the entrance of its new proprietors but the forms of the transfer were no sooner completed and the new government acknowledged than swarms of that restless people which is ever found hovering on the skirts of american society plunged into the thickets that fringed the right bank of the mississippi with the same careless hardihood as had already sustained so many of them in their toilsome progress from the Atlantic States to the eastern shores of the Father of the Rivers. The Mississippi is thus termed in several of the Indian languages. The reader will gain a more just idea of the importance of this stream if he recalls to mind the fact that the Missouri and the Mississippi are properly the same river their united lengths cannot be greatly short of four thousand miles. Time was necessary to blend the numerous and affluent colonists of the lower province with their new compatriots, but the thinner and more humble population above was almost immediately swallowed in the vortex which attended the tide of instant immigration. The inroad from the east was a new and sudden outbreaking of a people who had endured a momentary restraint after having been rendered nearly resistless by success. The toils and hazards of former undertakings were forgotten, as these endless and unexplored regions, with all their fancied as well as real advantages, were laid open to their enterprise. The consequences were such as might easily have been anticipated from so tempting an offering, placed as it was before the eyes of a race long trained in adventure and nurtured in difficulties thousands of elders of what were then called the new states footnote all the states admitted to the american union since the revolution are called new states with the exception of vermont that had claims before the war which were not however admitted until a later day back to the text broke up from the enjoyment of their hard-earned indulgences and were to be seen leading long lines of descendants born and reared in the forests of ohio and kentucky deeper into the land in quest of that which might be termed without the aid of poetry their natural and more congenial atmosphere the distinguished and resolute forester who first penetrated the wilds of the latter state was of the number this adventurous and venerable patriarch was now seen making his last remove placing the endless river between him and the multitude his own success had drawn around him and seeking for the renewal of enjoyments which were rendered worthless in his eyes, when trammelled by the forms of human institutions. Colonel Boone, the Patriarch of Kentucky, this venerable and hardy pioneer of civilization, immigrated to an estate 300 miles west of the Mississippi in his 92nd year because he found a population of ten to the square mile inconveniently crowded. In the pursuit of adventures such as these, men are ordinarily governed by their habits or deluded by their wishes. A few, led by the phantoms of hope and ambitious of sudden affluence, sought the mines of the virgin territory. But by far the greater portion of the immigrants were satisfied to establish themselves along the margins of the larger watercourses, content. With the rich returns that the generous alluvial bottoms of the rivers never failed to bestow on the most desultory industry. In this manner were communities formed with magical rapidity, and most of those who witnessed the purchase of the empty empire have lived to see already a populous and sovereign state, parcelled from its inhabitants and received into the bosom of the national union on terms of political equality the incidents and scenes which are connected with this legend occurred in the earliest periods of the enterprises which have led to so great and so speedy a result the harvest of the first year of our possession had long been past, and the fading foliage of a few scattered trees was already beginning to exhibit the hues and tints of autumn when a train of wagons issued from the bed of a dry rivulet to pursue its course across the undulating surface of what, in the language of the country of which we write, is called a rolling prairie. The vehicles, loaded with household goods and implements of husbandry, the few straggling sheep and cattle were herded in the rear, and the rugged appearance and careless mien of the sturdy men who loitered at the sides of the lingering teams united to announce a band of emigrants seeking for the El Dorado of the West contrary to the usual practice of the men of their caste this party had left the fertile bottoms of the low country and had found its way by means only known to such adventurers across glen and torrent over deep morasses and arid waste to a point far beyond the usual limits of civilized habitations in their front were stretched those broad plains which extend with so little diversity of character to the bases of the rocky mountains, and many long and dreary miles in their rear foamed the swift and turbid waters of La Platte. The appearance of such a train in that bleak and solitary place was rendered the more remarkable by the fact that the surrounding country offered so little, that was tempting to the cupidity of speculation, and, if possible, still less, that was flattering to the hopes of an ordinary settler of new lands. The meager herbage of the prairie promised nothing, in favor of a hard and unyielding soil over which the wheels of the vehicles rattled as lightly as if they traveled on a beaten road, neither wagons nor beasts making any deeper impression than to mark that bruised and withered grass which the cattle plucked from time to time and as often rejected as food too sour for even hunger to render palatable. Whatever might be the final destination of these adventures? Or the secret causes of their apparent security in so remote and unprotected a situation, there was no visible sign of uneasiness, uncertainty, or alarm among them. Including both sexes and every age, the number of the party exceeded twenty. At some little distance in front of the whole marched the individual who, by his position and air, appeared to be the leader of the band. He was a tall, sunburnt man past the middle age of a dull countenance and listless manner his frame appeared loose and flexible but it was vast and in reality of prodigious power it was only at moments however as some slight impediment opposed itself to his loitering progress that his person, which, in its ordinary gait, seemed so lounging and nerveless, displayed any of those energies which lay latent in his system, like the slumbering and unwieldy, but terrible, strength of the elephant. The inferior lineaments of his countenance were coarse, extended, and vacant, while the superior or those nobler parts which are thought to affect the intellectual being were low, receding, and mean the dress of this individual was a mixture of the coarsest vestments of a husbandman with the leathern garments that fashion as well as use had in some degree rendered necessary to one engaged in his present pursuits there was however a singular and wild display of prodigal and ill-judged ornaments blended with his motley attire in place of the usual deerskin belt he wore round his body a tarnished silken sash of the most gaudy colours the buckhorn haft of his knife was profusely decorated with plates of silver the martin's fur of his cap was of fineness and shadowing that a queen might covet the buttons of his rude and soiled blanket-coat were of the glittering coinage of mexico the stock of his rifle was of beautiful mahogany riveted and banded with the same precious metal and the trinkets of no less than three worthless watches dangled from different parts of his person In addition to the pack and the rifle which were slung at his back together with the well-filled and carefully guarded pouch and horn he had carelessly cast a keen and bright wood-axe across his shoulder sustaining the weight of the whole with as much apparent ease as if he moved unfettered in limb and free from encumbrance a short distance in the rear of this man came a group of youths, very similarly attired and bearing sufficient resemblance to each other and to their leader To distinguish them as the children of one family. Though the youngest of their number could not much have passed the period that, in the nicer judgment of the law, is called the age of discretion, he had proved himself so far worthy of his progenitors as to have reared already his aspiring person to the standard height of his race. There was one or two others of different mold, whose descriptions must, however, be referred to the regular course of the narrative of the females there were but two who had arrived at womanhood Those several white-headed olive-skin faces were peering out of the foremost wagon of the train with eyes of lively curiosity and characteristic animation the elder of the two adults was the sallow and wrinkled mother of most of the party and the younger was a sprightly active girl of eighteen who in figure dress and mien seemed to belong to a station in society several gradations above that of any one of her visible associates the second vehicle was covered with a top of cloth so tightly drawn as to conceal its contents with the nicest care the remaining wagons were loaded with such rude furniture and other personal effects as might be supposed to belong to one ready at any moment to change his abode without reference to season or distance perhaps there was little in this train or in the appearance of its proprietors that is not daily to be encountered on the highways of this changeable and moving country but the solitary and peculiar scenery in which it was so unexpectedly exhibited gave to the party a marked character of wildness and adventure in the little valleys which in the regular formation of the land occurred at every mile of their progress the view was bounded on two sides by the gradual and low elevations which gave name to the description of prairie we have mentioned while on the others the meagre prospect ran off in long narrow barren perspectives but slightly relieved by a pitiful show of coarse, though somewhat luxuriant vegetation from the summits of the swells the eye became fatigued with the sameness and chilling dreariness of the landscape the earth was not unlike the ocean when its restless waters are heaving heavily after the agitation and fury of the tempest had begun to lessen. There was the same waving and regular surface, the same absence of foreign objects, and the same boundless extent to the view. Indeed, so very striking was the resemblance between the water and the land, that, however, much the geologist must sneer at so simple a theory it would have been difficult for a poet not to have felt that the formation of the one had been produced by the subsiding dominion of the other. Here and there a tall tree rose out of the bottoms, stretching its naked branches abroad, like some solitary vessel, and, to strengthen the delusion, far in the distance appeared two or three rounded thickets, looming in the misty horizon, like islands resting on the waters. It is unnecessary to warn the practiced reader that the sameness of the surface and the low stands of the spectators exaggerated the distances. but as swell appeared after swell, and island succeeded island, there was a disheartening assurance that long and seemingly interminable tracts of territory must be passed before the wishes of the humblest agriculturist could be realized. Still the leader of the immigrants steadily pursued his way, with no other guide than the sun turning his back resolutely on the abodes of civilization, and plunging at each step more deeply, if not irretrievably, into the haunts of the barbarous and savage occupants of the country. As the day drew nigher to a close, however, his mind, which was perhaps incapable of maturing any connected system of forethought, beyond that which related to the interests of the present moment, became, in some slight degree, troubled with the care of providing for the wants of the hours of darkness. On reaching the crest of a swell that was a little higher than the usual elevations, he lingered a minute, and cast a half-curious eye on either hand, in quest of those well-known signs which might indicate a place where the three grand requisites of water, fuel, and fodder were to be obtained in conjunction. It would seem that his search was fruitless, for after a few moments of indolent and listless examination he suffered his huge frame to descend the gentle declivity in the same sluggish manner that an over-fatted beast would have yielded to the downward pressure his example was silently followed by those who succeeded him though not until the young men had manifested much more of interest if not of concern in the brief inquiry which each in his turn made on gaining the same lookout it was now evident by the tardy movements both of beast and men that the time of necessary rest was not far distant the matted grass of the lower land presented obstacles which fatigue began to render formidable and the whip was becoming necessary to urge the lingering teams to their labour at this moment when with the exception of the principal individual a general lassitude was getting the mastery of the travellers and every eye was cast by a sort of common impulse wistfully forward the whole party was brought to a halt by a spectacle as sudden as it was unexpected The sun had fallen below the crest of the nearest wave of the prairie, leaving the usual rich and glowing train on its track. In the center of this flood of fiery light a human form appeared, drawn against the gilded background as distinctly and seemingly as palpable as though it would come from within the grasp of any extended hand. The figure was colossal, the attitude musing and melancholy, and the situation directly in the route of the travelers. But embedded, as it was, in its setting of garish light, it was impossible to distinguish its just proportions or true character. The effect of such a spectacle was instantaneous and powerful. The man in front of the immigrants came to a stand, and remained gazing at the mysterious object with a dull interest that soon quickened into superstitious awe. His sons, so soon as the first emotions of surprise had a little abated, drew slowly around him. And, as they who governed the teams gradually followed their example, the whole party was soon condensed in one silent and wondering group. Notwithstanding the impression of a supernatural agency, was very general among the travelers, the ticking of gunlocks was heard, and one or two of the bolder youths cast their rifles forward in readiness for service. "'Send the boys off to the right!' exclaimed the resolute wife and mother, in a sharp dissonant voice. "'I warrant me!' Asa or Abner will give some account of the creature. It may be well enough to try the rifle, muttered a dull-looking man, whose features, both in outline and expression, bore no small resemblance to the first speaker, and who loosened the stock of his piece, and brought it dexterously to the front, while delivering this opinion. The Pawnee Loops are said to be hunting by hundreds in the plains. If so, they'll never miss a single man from their tribe exclaimed a soft tone but alarmed female voice which was easily to be traced to the trembling lips of the younger of the two women we are not all together it may be a friend who is scouting now demanded the father scanning at the same time the cluster of his stout sons with a displeased and sullen eye put by the peace put by the peace He continued, diverting the other's aim with the finger of a giant, and with the air of one it might be dangerous to deny. My job is not yet ended. Let us finish the little that remains in peace. The man, who had manifested so hostile an attention, appeared to understand the other's illusion, and suffered himself to be diverted from his object. The sons turned their inquiring looks on the girl, who had so eagerly spoken to require an explanation but as if content with the respite she had obtained for the stranger she sunk back in her seat and chose to effect a maidenly silence in the meantime the hues of the heavens had often changed in place of the brightness which had dazzled the eye a gray and more sober light had succeeded and as the setting lost its brilliancy the proportions of the fanciful form became less exaggerated and finally distinct ashamed to hesitate now that the truth was no longer doubtful the leader of the party resumed his journey using the precaution as he ascended the slight acclivity to release his own rifle from the strap and to cast it into a situation more convenient for sudden use there was little apparent necessity however for such watchfulness from the moment when it had thus unaccountably appeared as it were between the heavens and the earth the stranger's figure had neither moved nor given the smallest evidence of hostility Had he harbored any such evil intention, the individual who now came plainly into view seemed but little qualified to execute him. A frame had endured the hardships of more than eighty seasons was not qualified to awaken apprehension in the breasts of one so powerful as the immigrant. Notwithstanding his years and his look of emaciation, if not of suffering, there was that about this solitary being, however, which said that time and not disease had laid his hand heavily on him. His form had withered, but it was not wasted. The sinews and muscles, which had once denoted great strength, though shrunken, were still visible, and his whole figure had attained an appearance of induration, which, if it were not for the well-known frailty of humanity, would have seemed to bid defiance to the further approaches of decay. His dress was chiefly of skins, worn with the hair to the weather, a pouch and horn were suspended from his shoulders and he leaned on a rifle of uncommon length but which like its owner exhibited the wear of long and hard service as the party drew nigher to this solitary being and came within a distance to be heard a low growl issued from the grass at his feet and then a tall gaunt toothless hound arose lazily from his lyre and shaking himself made some show of resisting the nearer approach of the travelers "'Down, actor, down,' said his master in a voice that was a little tremulous and hollow with age. "'What have ye to do, pup, with men who journey under lawful callings?' "'Stranger, if you are much acquainted in this country,' said the later of the immigrants, "'can you tell a traveller where he may find necessities for the night? "'Is the land filled on the other side of the big river?' demanded the old man solemnly and without appearing to hearken to the other's question or why do i see a sight i had never thought to behold again why there is no country left it is true for such as have money and are not particular in the choice returned the immigrant but to my taste it is getting crowdy what may a man call this distance from this place to the nighest point on the main river a hunted deer could not cool his sides in the mississippi without travelling a weary five hundred miles and what may you name the district hereaway by what name returned the old man pointing significantly upward would you call the spot where you see yonder cloud the immigrant looked at the other like one who did not comprehend his meaning and who half suspected he was trifled with but he contented himself by saying YOU ARE BUT A NEW INHABITANT LIKE MYSELF, I RECKON, STRANGER, OTHERWISE YOU WOULD be BACKWARD IN HELPING A TRAVELER TO SOME ADVICE, WORDS COST BUT LITTLE, AND SOMETIMES LEAD TO FRIENDSHIPS. ADVICE IS NOT A GIFT, BUT A DEBT THAT THE OLD owe TO THE YOUNG. WHAT WOULD YOU WISH TO KNOW? WHERE I MAY CAMP FOR THE NIGHT. I'M NO GREAT DIFFICULTY-MAKER, AS TO BED AND BOARD, BUT ALL JOURNEYERS, LIKE MYSELF, KNOW THE VIRTUE OF SWEET WATER AND A GOOD BROWSE FOR THE CATTLE. Come, then, with me, and you shall be master of both. And little more is it that I can offer on this hungry prairie? As the old man was speaking, he raised his heavy rifle to his shoulder with a facility a little more remarkable for his years and appearance, and without further words led the way over the acclivity to the adjacent bottom. End of Chapter 1